listening to Hey, Paul, how's it going? Not too bad, Liz. Not too bad. Thanks. How's things? Yeah, yeah, things are good. Things are good. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, what you do and uh, where you're currently working. Cool. Uh, so I am the CTO with a company called Square One. We are a digital agency headquartered in Dublin. We also have offices in Spain and France and work with uh, about 85 people around the world. So uh, my role is a, is CTO. My my background is is as a developer. I've been based here in Dublin for for uh, for most of my life. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of my my background and and where where I got to where I am today. Cool. How did you get started in tech? Uh, so I was kind of lucky that uh, as a kid there was computers in the house. Uh, you know, from 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 very young age. You know. I'm, I'm old enough now that those computers uh, predated the internet, you know, back in the the, the black and white days. Um, and uh, I, I was lucky enough as a kid that that stuff just, uh, it, it it always clicked in with my brain in, in a particular way. So, you know, I'd be messing around, um, changing the, the the sprite characters in games just to see what way that would work or building building maps in the, the original Grand Theft Auto when it was the, the top-down view rather than the, the 3D walk around. Uh, so I'm re- really showing my age there now. Uh, but I was lucky enough that, you know, there was there was always something there for me. So I had, had that kind of interest. So uh, I went to uh, DCU, did a, a degree in computer applications and uh, finished that up. And uh, took took a bit of a left turn after college. So while uh, a few of my friends went off uh, interrailing or, or jumping into jobs, uh, I ended up uh, being the manager of the busiest cinema in the UK and Ireland for about two years, uh, which was a bit, bit of a bit of a left turn um, at the time, but a very interesting life experience. But uh, after about about two years or so of that, uh, you know, I really needed to u- use my degree, really, and, and get back to computing. So I uh, applied for a job with uh, Daft.ie, a large real estate portal here in Ireland. They had a, an opening for a, a, a recent graduate. And uh, being two years out of college, I was certainly stretching recent to uh, beyond the point of plausibility there. But thankfully, they didn't look too closely at the dates on my CV. And I uh, snuck in the door there uh, at a relatively early stage in uh, Daft's development. I think I was maybe the maybe the 12th or 13th person into the company there. And then over the years, that grew up into what ultimately became the, the Distilled Media Group at the time with sites like adverts.ie, boards.ie, the journal.ie as, as part of that group. And as the company grew, there were opportunities for me. You know, I grew from working as a developer into senior developer, tech lead, and, and sort of stepping up in, in different managerial positions along the way. And uh, then uh, about, about um, nine years or, or so ago, I moved into Square One with a, a couple of the guys that I, I, I'd i met and uh, within the stilled, the co-founders, uh, Kira Mar and Diego Solizano, were uh, two guys I, I got on very well with in, in the still. They'd gone out to start Square One, so I, I followed them shortly after that. Um, and then we... Uh, uh, went in Square One, and then Square One has grown from I think it was the, the five or six of us back then to the eighty-five or so people I mentioned there uh, a while ago. So that's a uh, it's a very uh, very uh, uh, short uh, elevator pitch for for me and my background and, and where where we got to today. Yeah, I love the bit that you were talking about uh, when you worked for the cinema. Uh, I I'm wondering, you know, like I think that 
I also have kind of a, a roundabout path to tech. And I love when I talk to other people that have that as well um, to learn about what they learned in whatever that role was that they've been able to carry forward with them. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I would love to hear, is there anything that you learned or experienced while you were working uh, for the cinema that you've carried with you till today? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think, um, you know, whether it's, it's, it's the cinema, I mean, cinema is, is ultimately a type of retail job and, and retail job puts you in front of all kinds of different customers having all kinds of different different problems and different questions and different challenges. And uh, it really helps you develop a very different kind of muscle in terms of the the empathy for the customer solution and the customer problem. You know, I think there's there's often a stereotype you see um, fairly or otherwise of, of developers who, you know, you go through college as a developer, you only ever work on code. And the, when you're you're working in a, in a real company and someone comes to you and says, hey, this user is having a problem with X, Y, Z. And the stereotypical answer is, you know, a developer takes off their headphones and says, well, just tell them not to be stupid. Tell them to click a different button or something like that. You know, it's 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 a bit of a cliche. But I think once you're you're there at a, you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday night dealing with uh, five or six people who've paid uh, a, an inordinate amount of money for uh, for popcorn and drinks and had a problem in the cinema. You know, you're you're dealing with a very different type of uh, a customer. That face-to-face interaction, I think, really helps to put you into into the shoes of someone who has a problem and, and try to see it from a different perspective and, and ultimately come to a different solution there. And, and uh, yeah, a- empathy, I think, is in, in a short, in, in a sort of roundabout way is, is, is something you can develop a lot more from, from those kind of roles than when you're you know, behind a keyboard and a screen and, and a million miles detached potentially from the people who are, who are going to be using your product and, and um, ultimately acting as your customers. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I I worked retail for, for a bit as well. And there is something that's different when you have to kind of respond immediately to something also, right? Like I think sometimes we sort of have this luxury of like being behind our keyboards and like having time to think about like, you know, how we want to approach something. Uh, And even with that time and space, sometimes we don't always approach it in the best way. But um, yeah, there's something about that like real time sort of feedback and response that you have to have. It was also when you were talking about that, it made me think of like, have you ever seen that cartoon where it's like, uh, it's talking about software development, but um, it's like they want to make like a tire swing uh, and yes. and it like shows all of these different steps where it's like people are trying to communicate that they want to make a tire swing and like the product manager has a different idea of what it's supposed to look like. The developer has a different idea and, you know, the end result is this kind of like monstrous Frankenstein looking thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The communication can break down very easily, I think, uh, in, in those kind of silos. Yeah. Yeah, what was it like for you transitioning from being a developer into being a technology leader? Uh, quite, quite difficult to be frank. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, in in some ways, I was quite well prepared for it because I had effectively been leading a team and, and leading large parts of an organization when I was in in the cinema. So, so I had some some of some of those muscles were, were still still working a little bit a few years later, but. Um, you know, as a developer, my my brain is wired in a certain way that you know when you're you're fixing a bug or you're building something, you're getting very very quick feedback. You know, I've I've deployed a website, I can see it, people are using it, or I fixed the bug, the bug's no longer there, great, and you get that um that that dopamine hit in the brain that says yes, I've I've done something useful, I've done something productive here, and and to be very frank, I struggled quite a lot moving into a a, a leadership role where. You know, when you're in a leadership role, you're, it's not so much the work that you're doing as the work you're enabling is, is more important. 
you're helping the people underneath you solve problems, helping them grow, helping them deal with issues and, and helping them improve in, in, in what they're doing. And, and ultimately your success is an aggregation of their success. Um, and the, the feedback loop on that can be incredibly long or, or even not visible. You know, if, if you're working on my team today, we might have a conversation today about a, a challenge you're facing and it might, it might be lucky enough that it, it unlocks something for you and six months down the line, you achieve a phenomenal result with that. I might not even ever know that I've had that impact or, or helped to, to do that. So getting the, the feeling of satisfaction and the feeling of, um, of, uh, yeah, of having done something, done something productive is something I, I certainly struggled a lot with. And I know I've talked to other people who've made a similar transition and it's, it, it's not an uncommon feeling when you're, you're coming from that sort of developer background that suddenly you've, you've to find a different way to, to feel productive, to feel that you've done something. You know, I, I remember early on when I'd gone into a, a leadership role, I'd be coming home from a day's work where it would have been all day. I would have been doing one-to-one -one meetings, maybe performance reviews, maybe helping with planning, maybe helping with all of these sort of things. I, I wouldn't touch a keyboard for the whole day. You know, you're in and out of meetings, you're talking to people all, all of the time. Um, and at the end of the day, completely exhausted, batteries completely drained. You know, my, my, I'm, I'm naturally quite an introverted person. So, you know, the, the energy levels are, 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 are taxed quite a bit when you're, you're talking to people a lot of the time, but you come home at the end of the day, exhausted and feel, uh, I, I don't feel like I've done anything today versus, you know, when you're a developer and, you know, I, I built this application today and I built this widget and, oh, look at this cool animation I built. And, you know, you, you, you've done something there. So, so getting that, that sense of satisfaction or that sense of, uh, I, I'm actually doing something useful here. Uh, that was, that was a significant, significant challenge for me. Um, I mean, I, I say it was a significant challenge. It's not necessarily a, a fully solved problem. You know, I, I, I still, still get this from time to time. You know, we need to have a, maybe small little toy projects on the side where just occasionally when my, my, my energy levels have dropped enough, I know, okay, I can just jump in here, fix this one small thing, get that little dopamine hit and then, okay, go back to, you know, what, what, what my real job is, um, at, at the moment. So it's, a it's certainly a big challenge. Um, and I know it's something that, yeah, a, a lot of people going through that, that transition certainly have, uh, well, have, have struggles with, cause it's just a fundamentally different way of, of um of, of realizing your own value of, of knowing what you're doing you know because i i struggle quite a bit thinking you know uh i don't know what you, you'd call it imposter syndrome or, or whatever but i'd feel like am, am i even the right person to be doing this like what what is it i'm actually doing here what am i what am i doing here and yeah when i speak to other other leaders in the organization at the time i'd be getting you know generally positive feedback they can see i'm doing this right doing that right and things are, are looking all right but it, it doesn't necessarily feel like it internally because i'm used to the the little pings in my brain of okay you've done this you've built this you've done that you've done that and and for me personally with in the absence of that feeling i it, it was definitely very challenging and, and certainly in, in the early days it was, it was quite difficult to 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 realize that and and to yeah i suppose uh, adapt my own sense of of satisfaction and my own sense of uh, my my the worth in in the work that i was doing yeah, I I can definitely see how that would be a huge challenge because it's also so data oriented, I guess, when you're doing an IC role, uh, you can look and say, you know, I shipped this, I wrote this many lines of code, uh, you know, this and that, like, there's all these ways that you can really point to like what you did, or, or like you said, like, you know, this is live, and now you can can check it out. Um, but when it is sort of like mentoring, um, encouraging, nudging people in the right direction, like making big sort of like structural decisions um, or like organizational choices. Uh, it's it's definitely a different type of 
way to measure. Like it's it's hard and it's it's funny because um in developer relations, you know, that's like what my job falls under. And there's always all of these, like if you go to any sort of like developer relations type event or conference, there's always all of these uh, talks about like, how do we measure success? How do we measure what we do? Because um, so much of the work is um, relationship building and sort of community uh, in addition to, you know, some things that are very, you know, you know, measurable in terms of like seeing how many people viewed what you wrote or downloaded the repo that you created or whatever like that. So, um, yeah, I think measuring success generally is, is just a really hard thing when you aren't in a role that's very oriented around like a number that you can point to. Absolutely, yeah. When you're you're sort of uh, one or two levels removed from the the actual metrics that the business will rely on a lot of the time, it's yeah, it, it can be be really challenging to to do that. All right, yeah. And like like I say, not not a solved problem. So if if you ever uh, if you ever crack it, please let me know. Um, and uh, yeah, we'd be happy to hear. Oh my gosh, yeah, you and me both. Maybe maybe we'll both figure it out, and we can combine our strategies or something like that. Um, you know, you mentioned side projects, and I'm curious. Are there any side projects that you've worked on that you found particularly interesting? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, there's a there's a few kind of small things that we're working on that be just kind of scratching an itch in in the business uh, a lot of the time. Um, you know, so I would kind of justify to myself I'm spending a bit of time on, on this thing over here that isn't necessarily core. Uh, you know, for for example, we we deal with a lot of say um, online publishers and news organizations, sport organizations, and so on, where things like the, the page speed of their uh, their, their websites is, is very important. And Google provide you a lot of tools for assessing this on an ongoing basis, but a lot of them require you to sort of manually go to a web page somewhere, paste in a URL, check the results, come back, and blah, blah, blah. So um, one little side project we put together when we were working with a, a number of users who were trying to aggressively um, address a number of page speed issues over time. You want to be tracking these things fairly regularly and having someone manually remember to go in every day and stick this data in a spreadsheet somewhere isn't isn't, isn't great fun for anybody. So built a, a little project where we could go in, we could put in these URLs. It would, in the background, it would go away and fire up all of the different virtual machines it needed to do to, to simulate real world users visiting these pages, getting the page speed scores and aggregating them and visualizing it so, you know, non-technical users can ultimately go in and say, okay, here's the impact we're having on the business by this line went up, this line went down, whatever it is. Um, but that was something that uh, could chip away at on the side. You know, I mentioned things that kind of chip chip away at on the side. Um, a lot of time, what I, what I found is that, uh, again, coming back to my, my transition from a developer into a leadership role and, and sort of where I am now and what I might tell myself at the time, you know, initially, I found it was very important for me to sort of keep my hand in with the development and you know i'm, I'm still here in the trenches with you guys you know I'll, I'll take these tasks on you take those tasks on and so on and as you've other pressures on your time you can sort of become the, the roadblock here on the critical tasks and, and holding the team back so with the sort of side projects and the things i kind of keep on the side when i need the the occasional dopamine spike or, or a little bit of feedback it, it's stuff that isn't on the critical path you know it, it, if it's done it's a nice enhancement or it's something that's going to help help move things along but i'm not blocking anybody if if i don't get to it this week it's going to take me another few days it's it's not a problem and this current project was, was one like that where 
there's there's an unpleasant manual workaround or manual flow that was being followed by this particular user at the time. Um, and if and when this this automated system appears, then great, it's 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 an improvement to everyone's life, but it's it's not blocking the the thing from happening. So that that was one that. Uh, that got put together that that worked reasonably well. It's still running away on on the server and and uh, and giving us the the results we're looking for. So that was uh, that was one that that went somewhere. Um, you know, I have my my laptop is is just a graveyard of uh you know new repos kicked off with a, a to do list in a, in a oh, readme. Yeah. I'm gonna get around to this and you know get 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 part of the way there. And uh, yeah, it's just absolute graveyard of, of things in there. Every so often, I, I spin back through the list of them that are there and say, okay, well. Someone else has built this since, and someone else has built this since, and just started to tidy up the list a bit that way. But yeah, I, I keep lying to myself that someday I'll, I'll have time to sit down and just start uh, hacking away at all of these uh, sort of speculative side projects, but not haven't quite haven't quite got there yet. Oh yeah, uh, I I feel like anyone listening to this can heavily relate to uh, that practice. The other thing that I love is when you talk to people about the different domains that they've bought, when they've been like, oh yeah, I'm definitely gonna build this thing. I'm just gonna buy the domain for it now. And then, you know, you like look back, you get like the reminder that it's gonna renew and you're like, that was a year ago that I did that. (laughs) Reminder of shame, yeah. Remember the great hopes and plans that you had for this domain? That was was a year ago, or that was two years ago now. Yeah, well, I I convinced myself, okay, if I I pay the domain renewal fee, that's that's a sunk cost now where I have to justify spending all of the time working on it to to justify that $5 I've spent on the domain or or whatever it is. But yeah, yeah, I know it's exactly what you're talking about. That can be a motivator. That can definitely be a motivator. I think that's a really good uh, practice, though, like for folks who might be wanting to go into the managerial path, uh, just having a practice like that where where you say like, okay, well, I'm just going to say that I'll contribute something non-critical. I'm just going to have this here for when I really need that because um, I think we all kind of go through phases, right? Where like the day-to-day just kind of feels like a slog and you just like need something else. Um, So that, I think that's actually a really good tip for folks um, when they're kind of looking for something uh, and when they're in that type of role. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly something that, that um, worked well for me when I, when I made the flip, Uh, you know, my, my, obviously my, my initial attempt was, was uh, was well meaning but completely wrong and causing a problem for the team in the end. So yeah, making the flip into I, I can be a value add if and when I, I have the time, I think was 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 a key key difference there. Uh yeah. I'm wondering about uh when you were talking about how you handle sort of customer requests and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um I think that something that I've been noticing is uh a lot of developers and companies can find it challenging to decide, you know, how quickly do we want to integrate this customer request into what we're doing? Um, And and like, how important is it kind of based against like some of our other things that we have that are that are really critical to get done? So um, yeah, wondering kind of like how you approach that, how you guys approach it at Square One. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big challenge. Um, you know, as, as you say, you can get all kinds of requests from all kinds of different customers. And, and you know, I, ideally, the ideal answer is that you have a very clear strategic roadmap and everything your customers ask for, you've already thought and it's on the roadmap somewhere. And okay, you might move the priorities a bit, but it's it, it's nice and clean that way. I, in reality, I, I don't think I've, I've ever seen it work, work that well. Um, I think when you're getting customer requests in, 
key thing is is to understand uh, what what it is the customer uh, the the goal is or the pain point is because very often depending on the say the the vertical you're working with maybe you're very technical customers maybe you don't the 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 way the the, the feedback is given to you um some sometimes you get say hyper specific feedback from someone who says you know um i'm i'm trying to do xyz and on this page uh, i want the button to say x instead of y and uh, it, it should really be orange to stand out from this and it should do y and it should, you're, you're getting you're getting hyper specific um implementation uh suggestions from the user and so, sometimes they're valuable but very often they're uh, sort of masking what it is the frustration is. So the frustration in this case is, okay, it's it's not obvious to me how I need to do why. Here, here's my proposed solution for it. Uh, so so trying to understand the 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 what from the feedback um, rather than the, the how that may sometimes come through can be critical to, to identify, okay, what's the core pain point here? And then you can start to see, okay, are we seeing this with this one particular user? Is this, is this when we isolate what the pain point is, is this something that's common to a number of our users? And okay, let's either revisit our roadmap or put it on there if it's not on there already that's that's a challenge um i i think one of the big challenges you can get uh particularly in the early stages of a product company as well is uh when you have feedback coming through from say a, a very large user or a very large potential customer which may not be in the, the general interest of the product as a whole um mm. but we're in a position where you know this is a user we really need so you're at a kind of a, an inflection point there where you start to say, okay, are we going to go down the road of taking what we're doing and making it hyper-specific for this user who we know is is going to pay us a certain amount per month and will give us whatever, six months more runway at least to figure out the rest? Or are we staying through to our vision that, you know, this this is a general purpose tool which has a much larger uh, addressable market. We just haven't quite found them yet. Uh, you know, right. in, in theory, you want to go with the large market, but in practice, when you know you're you're looking at the payroll is coming due, you're you, you know you, you have a large customer who has money ready to go there now. That that can be a very difficult, very difficult conversation to to have um, internally and, and to manage what way you're gonna you're gonna address that. Uh, it, it can be a big way or a big challenge of handling that sort of feedback. I think um, so. It's 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 rarely as as clean cut as you know. Let's take everything the users say, put them into a put them into a queue somewhere, and we'll just start chipping away at them one by one. Um, uh, I remember seeing a talk um, by uh, um, DHH, the guy behind Rails, before, and he talked about how Basecamp had handled feedback in in the early days, and he said it was mm. more about um, act on the customer's behalf, if not specifically the request. You know, you're you're looking at what the goal is or what the general pain point is, rather than specifically, you know you're not going to get your orange button on this page. Instead, here's a new wizard that should let you achieve generating the report or, or, or whatever it is. So uh, mm -hmm. I think that that's a key point is, is understanding the specifics of, of what you're being asked for there. That's such a good point. Uh, kind of really trying to get to the heart of what the, the problem is, because I think sometimes too, especially... I think because there are so many developers now, and I've found this myself when I'm using a product, sometimes I'll get very, you know, nitpicky about the UI to your point, like just all these little things that you're like, well, I would like it better if it did this. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like, is that really a problem? You know, like, is it is it just something that would be nice if I had personally? Um, or is it impacting the functionality? And I think sometimes there is a functional problem. Like there is actually something that's not working very well, but it's like, because that thing's not working well, you see all of the other things that annoy you and you might be missing being able to clarify what the actual thing is. 
Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the for, forest for the trees sort of thing, isn't it? You know, you're, you've got this one core thing that maybe maybe you don't even see it anymore because you're, you've adapted your workflow. You're kind of working around it and managing it in, in some particular way. But because of that, you're suddenly noticing this filter always behaves in a weird way. Or why are these checkboxes here? Or these sort of small little niggles or things that feel like small niggles, but they're they're symptoms of the broader cause here that I, I'm in a I'm in a state or a part of the application I shouldn't really be in when I'm trying to do this particular this task and that's the core problem that you you want to identify and you want to solve yeah absolutely I uh heard you mention rails earlier was that kind of one of your primary languages that you that you used or current currently use uh funnily enough no uh no um so uh, PHP is is one of the main languages that that we use um, within the the company as a whole. You know, we we have a lot of different languages in use. You know, we we have some 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 Rails, uh, native mobile development, um, Node.js, a lot of that sort of stuff. But PHP and, and Laravel is kind of our, our core. Uh, we've been doing this long enough to go through the whole cycle of you know. PHP is dead. PHP is a toy language. PHP is rubbish all the way back to, well, PHP is actually, it's the, the ecosystem around it, I think, um, particularly with, um, say, um, frameworks like Laravel and the way uh, the um, composer, the package management system has evolved uh, over the, the the last sort of six or seven years in particular. I think PHP has got a very, uh, it's got a very hard rap um, when you look at, you know, large successful companies that have built huge things on top of it. You know, we, we've managed to build a build a whole business almost exclusively on PHP for for a long part of that business. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, the, the reports of its its death are, are greatly exaggerated. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the, you know, I don't know, hot and trendy yeah. uh, types of like frameworks and languages. But uh, at the end of the day, it's like, does it work? That's are the it. people that are working on it skilled? And <laughs> I, I worked on this project once and I felt really bad because like the most senior person that they brought onto it had never written Python and it was all in Python. Right. Um, and uh, at the time, I was still pretty new to software development. So um, I don't know, I guess in my head, I'm like, ooh, this like really senior person, like that shouldn't be that, you know, <laughs> difficult to for them to pick up because they're so experienced and they're so smart. Uh, but it is really hard. Like it's not easy to understand. Like maybe you can get to like, you know, uh, something that works, but to understand like all of the things that a language can actually do, it takes some time. Absolutely, yeah, and real sort of hands-on time as well to to do it. Um, I think you know we we've been lucky enough over the years. We we've worked with a, a huge number of really talented developers, and I think when you're talking about that that case of say the senior developer who is maybe uh, not necessarily experienced in the technology you're using today, but is coming from a very strong background or maybe is very experienced in a, in a different type of technology, and you're wondering about transferable skills. We've seen it kind of go two ways in the past. You know, you have developers who have just a, a a generally um, good technical background. Maybe they've spent all of their time working with PHP and now it's going to be Rails or it was Python and I don't know, we're going to work with Go or, or something like that. Um, that, uh, you know, at a high level, they they understand algorithms, they understand the core concepts and translating the language from one to the other. Yeah, it's a bit of a speed bump. And then they're, the real time that they're they're taking to spin up is, is exactly what you described there. It's kind of the idiosyncrasies of, of each platform to say, okay, well, I know the way that PHP handles request caching, but I, I need to know exactly what way Rails is going to do that, um, the, the language or the quirks or the oddities of that. And they're the kind of bits to pick up. On the other hand, we've also worked with people who were, say, very senior, very capable developers in 
in one particular technology. But what they had done was they had effectively ingested the idiosyncrasies of that technology without necessarily having the same level of understanding. So when you bring them into another technology, their their sort of their base level drops very very quickly because they're spending all of their time saying, "Okay, oh my God, how how, uh, how do I Google for the the Rails equivalent of the Laravel request validation?" Blah 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 blah. Because the the core concepts behind it are 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 not hugely clear in the in their mind. The, the Laravel specific implementation they could probably do in their sleep, but it's it's. It's very, very set in that zone. So those those people I find um, have a much harder time um, transitioning from one to the other at, at anything close to the level they were they were before. Um, so it's that's certainly been a challenge. And you know we we've worked with we worked with people from sort of both both sort of sides there or, or both sort of levels of experience um, at going through that type of transition. So it's it, yeah that's 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 been an interesting one to see. I think because it's it, it can be quite hard to to uh, to, to identify that gap beforehand you know um but mm-hmm. it's it's certainly something we've, we've come across a few times yeah it makes me wonder what things will be like uh as things like you know copilot and chat gpt um keep becoming more ubiquitous and and just generally like better and more usable because mm-hmm. uh i do think it would be cool to see a world in which like it could bridge some of those gaps so people yeah. could just context switch more easily Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've been looking at a lot of those those tools ourselves internally, and uh, it, I, I think what's interesting about it is that I, I think at the current the current level that that those tools are at, I'd certainly be more comfortable putting them in front of more senior developers rather than more junior developers, because I, mm-hmm. I found that you know, um, to take take um, Laravel for example. Um, I was trying to solve something with a, a console command recently, and I had it in the back of my head. I I, I vaguely remember. I know there's a way to do this. There's a there's a structure. Or there's something that that does whatever I need, whatever command argument or whatever I needed. And I couldn't see it in the documentation. I was like, oh, I'm I'm convinced I've written this. Maybe some years ago. I know I did at some point. So I was in ChatGPT. I was asking it, okay, is there a way of doing this? And it came back and says, yes, there is. Oh, happy days. So it produced all you know this incredibly verbose code, exactly stuff. And I went in and uh, it looked, you know, it, it looked right. It looked, you know, kind of rang a bell and looked close enough to, to what I was trying to do. Went in, pasted it in. Uh, no, it didn't work at all. It was referencing functions that didn't exist. It was doing all kinds of crazy things because what it had done was it had um, taken, say, some of the documentation for, say, some of the testing in Laravel, which syntactically looks kind of similar. And it had just kind of transposed and said, oh, actually, yeah, this this thing here is actually this thing. And mm. it was... It was something which, okay, I was able to get to the bottom of it quite quickly because I could recognize the errors. I kind of knew myself, oh, okay, maybe there's something a little bit off here and I could identify that quite quickly, but I could see a scenario where a junior developer is given that code and effectively is looking at it and is is wasting the guts of a day trying to figure out, you know, is is it me? Is, is there a bug in the framework? You know, all these kind of things that you don't have the experience to say, oh, hang on, I'm going to treat this, this AI assistant as effectively a junior to mid-level programmer myself where i'm not going to trust everything they come back with i'm going to have to validate mm-hmm. it so so that's where i think at the moment those tools are are more useful for more senior people who know okay this is maybe 70 to 80 percent likely to be correct but i know i'm going to have to dig in here and tweak it or, or do something with it so there, there's a lot of potential for them I, I love the idea of for example being able to go in and say you know here is my 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 i don't know my my user storage class in laravel I need to do something very similar in in Rails. So, what would that look like, mm-hmm. or, or you know, something in in Python with this particular framework or whatever? Give me that mapping, and then as as someone who 
you know, coming back to the two types of senior developer we talked about earlier, someone who understands the kind of the core concepts, you can kind of figure out, oh, okay, so that's how Python structured this, or that's how Rails structured this. And again, 70 to 80% chance it's right, 20, 30% chance it's not, but at least you you can be taking the error messages and you're you're further down the funnel of figuring out what's gone wrong here and how can I figure it out based on your experience and your background. So so I think there's there's still there's still a level where I, I would be I would be nervous about putting it in front of um people who are, who are relatively new in their career, just from the high likelihood that they're mm-hmm. they're likely to spend more time chasing shadows than than actually getting the the benefits versus more senior people who will be taking advantage of the boilerplate generation and, and those kind of time savers, which which you know I've seen in my own experience, they can be quite significant quite quickly. You know, the you know, kind of small things that I don't know about you, but there's there's all kinds of little uh, things. I, I I end up googling them all of the time because they just won't stick in my brain. Whether you know it's yeah. a particular format and and the links, they're always purple in Google. I always know. Okay, yeah, I've been here 87 times before, uh, and it just won't stick in my brain. Those are the type of things now where I'm finding like the Copilot extensions in in VS Code is I, I write the comment and the comment is is even shorter than the Google query, and suddenly the code is there and it's 90% there. Maybe a bit of a tweak, but that's saving me bounce out to the browser, do the query, click the link, go in the link, copy the code. You know, it, it, it's not a huge time saving. It's maybe a minute or, or whatever, but it kind of adds up and adds up very quickly and keeps me in the flow. So so I think from that side, the the AI tools are, are are looking very powerful at the moment. But again, with that massive caveat over them that you you can't trust everything that comes out of them. They're like a, a, a very willing and enthusiastic, but um, low level assistant at the moment, I think is, is how I'd look at them. Yeah, I completely agree with you because I think that it also, like if I'm thinking back to what it was like for me when I was learning how to code, um, I remember I would like look up tutorials of things and be like, I'm so lost. I'm already so lost, you know? And I think that if you had something telling you, like this is how you, you know, send something to S3 with the AWS SDK Mm. and, and it gave me the wrong thing, like to your point, it would have just been like, taking up so much time trying to sort out like is this thing actually how is this how you do this like looking at the documentation looking at you know and it would just be like taking up more time than it would have to just like sort of learn it from the beginning um so i agree i think there's like certain cases where it's very useful um where you kind of you sort of you know if you're more senior you kind of know what to expect so when you see something and you're like oh yeah that's calling a method that i haven't imported from anywhere like obviously that's wrong um you can sort of like smell that and like catch it sooner um and the other thing that i find interesting that i've been paying more attention to is sort of the security implications of what these tools uh might have and and sort of like in the vein of what we're talking about if we just start sort of cobbling together different things that we've generated using large language models um even if it works there could be security issues if you're really not like thinking about how you're building something from that perspective so um wondering you know how you all think about security at square one and and what your approach is there yeah, I mean, security is 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 a huge challenge, uh, and and it's a critical one. You know, we deal with all kinds of different platforms, all kinds of different clients storing different types of information, uh, whether it's it's personal, financial, whatever, all all kinds of critical information. 
and figuring out how to store it and how to store it securely and safely is is a big challenge because you know you, you have application design challenges um you're going to have infrastructure management you then have monitoring you're going to have your own policies internally for how people should and shouldn't behave there's checking in on that you know there's a whole there's a whole world of things uh that 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 need to be taken into account around security because just the 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 potential of any breach is just it's just nightmare fuel um, if, if and when, you know, something something goes wrong. And that that's purely from a, you know, a, even a, a reputation or a business perspective before you even start to look at the regulatory impact, you know, under the GDPR or whatever of, of potentially leaking sensitive information. You know, so in an ideal world, you're, you know, you can't leak data if you don't have it. So ideally, you don't, you don't want to store anything, but practically that's, you know, that's not, not the case. So very often for us, you, we run into challenges when we're, Talking to say uh, a, a user who wants to build an application, and you're you're collecting a lot of information from from people, and so we're talking about okay, how we're going to store it, how we're going to manage it internally, the way that you may do encryption can impact on your functionality. For example, you know if you want to do a partial email search, it's not it gets it gets very computationally expensive if you are encrypting your data internally versus you know you store that all in plain text yeah people can search and do what they like but you know you're 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 potentially increasing your your risk surface there quite a bit and a lot of the time you know we get um users who say okay well we want to get this data and this data and this data and that data and say okay well what do you need all of that data for uh well just in case you know maybe maybe we need to target them by gender down the line or something like that and you know the just in case are the words that just send a shiver down my back when we're, we're talking about <laughs> applications um now thankfully that that has dropped a little bit over the couple of years since the gdpr came in but it, it's still relatively common that you know we, we want to gather as much as we can and then we'll figure out what to do with it later um where it's it's challenging you know um i, I mentioned i worked on a, a classified site years ago um and we at the time were dealing with payment handling and the payment handling was uh, this was before the likes of Stripe or any of that came along. So you know it was all uh, direct implementations, and the credit card information would come into our servers and then would be passed on, and, and so on and so on. Which meant that we needed to get a PCI certification. And going through all of the the paperwork involved with that, all of the processes, all of the overhead, mm -hmm. monitoring the recertification, huge time sink, huge drain on on everyone involved. Which means yeah. you, know, you can't you can't be doing other things that are adding value to the business while you're effectively ticking these these boxes mm -hmm. boxes that need to be ticked they're important boxes to be ticked because they're you know protecting secure secure information but at the same time you've you've a roadmap the length of your arm that needs to get built for new features and you're just spending your time on this internally so when the likes of stripe came along and said hey the credit card information let us worry about that it's not ever going to touch your servers uh mm -hmm. godsend you know you, you can't lose information or you can't leak information that you don't have mm -hmm. and, what Stripe have done with, with credit card information, whatever Vault are doing with you know, pretty much everything else, you know, take that information, just don't let it go into our systems and let us access it, sure. But, you know, the the security and the safety sitting with people who are, this is their this is their job, this is their main job, they're going to be better mm -hmm. at this than they ever will be. Um, it, it takes a huge load off when we're designing applications and building applications to say, okay, here are these trusted partners who know what they're doing. They know this stuff inside out. They, they've forgotten more about cryptography than we'll ever learn. You know, they, they know all of this stuff um, and we can implement it in a very developer-friendly way quite quickly and quite easily. Uh, it, it's a godsend in terms of our, our application design because, yeah, the, the potential for leaks and the potential for data getting out is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's scary stuff. And the, the number of 
operational processes and stuff you need to have around that. E- even with these these uh, providers like like Evervault or Stripe, you, st- you still need to have you know this this best practice internally. But it, it's mm-hmm. a huge off to to be able to say, okay, well the, the really really critical stuff, we we know where that is, we know how it's controlled, and we we know what the risk pattern is around that. So that's a it's a huge huge thing for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think that. There are so many different uh, aspects of security that developers, security teams, uh, tech companies have to worry about. Uh, the more that I'm spending time in the space, the more that I'm realizing just like the number of ways that an attack can happen uh, and and the number of ways that like we just underestimate like you know, people are very creative <laughs> in a very scary way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to manage, right? It's hard to balance these things. But I do think it's, um, it's very interesting, the number of sort of companies that are um, starting to, to take off that sort of focus on like, protecting one single area. I mean, I think Stripe is such a good example of like choosing one thing to focus on and, you know, A, be really good at it and then B, do it very securely. You know, like it's such a trusted name and such a trusted brand. Um, But uh, yeah, hopefully we figure more of these things out as time goes on. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Paul, this is such a great conversation. Uh, It was really lovely hearing just about your experience, uh, you know, becoming a leader, going from being a a IC developer to to being a tech leader now and um, the things you learned along the way and uh, all of the PHP bits as well. So uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we go? Um, no, I think that's 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 covered a lot of it. Uh, no, just thanks, thanks for thanks for the time today. Thanks for the opportunity to come on and have a chat. It's been great, great talking to you. So yeah. Decrypt.